Snatch 86, uh, welcome to our podcast where we explore food news eventually. Is that a good on-ramp? <clears throat> welcome to Natch. I'm Mark. Text me anytime, 303-548-6877. So you'd want, you want us to not call you the sound hawk this episode? You can call me the sound hawk. Let's, we could just lay it out a little bit. Mark, Mark Brush. That's me. A natural food industry kingmaker in the flesh on this couch, also known as, no, not once upon a time, now more than ever, mm. also known as the Soundhawk. Because if you record a podcast with this guy, he's going to hear every sound that doesn't emanate from his own tightened, constricted, sorghum infected um, chest. Um, stop it. I'm already, I'm already off kilter. I'm a kilter. I like to do that. I like to make because the sound's different this week. Different mic. It's like it's like pinched. I don't know, man. I'm sure it's great. Thanks for listening. Whisper in your lover's ear. Tell them you love us. This yep. is Natch. Food news eventually. Hey, hey. I went to a show, like a rock concert. I w- Uh huh. You could call it that. What? <sighs> Typical. It was a rock concert for Food Renegades. Down in Austin, Texas. First show, I, I've, I'm like a turtle, peeking my head out from my shell. Sniff, do turtles sniff the air? Lick the air? Lick the ground? Test the safety of their environs? With their funny little turtle head? leathery tongue? I put my foot back in the water into the natural foods marketplace and said, I'm going to go to this show. Wait, where'd you put your turtle head? Escabona. Oh, okay. Kinky. Which I believe is Latin for good food or something close to that, hopefully. Esca being food? I don't know. I I just take it for granted that the show organizers have researched this. Of course they have. Well, okay. Show. I went. It was a small, well, not small. It was a, it was a, I don't want to say small because it was a mid-sized gathering. I don't know. A couple hundred people, something like that. I don't know. Intimate, I think would be the way. If you were going to market this, you'd say it was an intimate intimate, event. It was an intimate of of thought leaders. Yeah. You know those. Game changers. (laughs) changers. Hey, were there some disruptors in the house? There was a lot of disrupting. Okay. There was a lot of collaborating and a lot of disrupting. There was a lot of collaborating to disrupt. Were, Were there pivots? There were so many pivots. Okay. What, what's, if, 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 if Escabone quick is looking, aside, okay. quick aside, fans of the show will know this sort of through theme that we have a friend named Greg, who is another Greg Bagney, 4G, King, 4G kingmaker of the oh non pari. I mean, you're a kingmaker. Greg Bagney is in a different stratosphere. You son of the a air bitch. is so thin where G Bags is that uh, he he uh, it's it's amazing that he doesn't pass out. Oh, there, that's much better. If I put my headphones on, he contributes mm-hmm. segments to the show with business advice. You should we don't have one this week, but we have something else from Greg this week. Oh boy, yep. those um, are called Greg's eggs. He was on stage for a panel, finance panel, money, how the the role it plays in advancing the cause of good food. And on that panel, there were six or seven people. He did a great job. He was the closer right before lunch. Just nice, clean slides, big bold statements, nothing on them. A few, mo- a few moments that came out of Greg's eggs, like you wake up every day with a shit sandwich on your desk. Oh, remember yeah. That, remember that the egg? shit sandwich. But then mm-hmm. as people were asking questions and someone else on the panel, in one se- we couldn't remember what it was, but in, within one sentence, he used the word. Hi, Bowie. That's a dog. He was just walking across the squeaky wood floor. Oh. We're in a house. <laughs> he said the word frothy. 
and the word pivot and a third word. Wow. And I'm looking at Greg as this guy's speaking and he's just, he's visibly, it's like a, he's so like Greg's on stage a listening to this? of, he, yeah, he's up there, up there with him. All the lights are on him. Okay. He, he looked funny from the audience. He was just sort of scowling the whole time. I think because the lights were bright. I got to get on the mic here. This but then once he heard the word pivot, he probably started to So Greg quiver. has a theme where he said, whenever somebody says pivot, it's like Tourette's. He has a response where he has to say pivot on this for a while. Yep. Because he doesn't like the use of the word pivot. Well, he thinks, if I recall, there was a Greg can, Zag that addressed this, that pivot is just uh, industry speak. It's just bullshit. It's smokescreen. It's, it's instead of, it's it's like a nice way of saying we failed at something. Mm. And here is he our does solution. does deal with a lot of startups looking for money. Yeah. So call he a pivot bar- what he, it is. He, to his credit, he let the guy finish his sentence. But he didn't leave it there. No, not Greg. We were, but we were winding up and breaking for lunch. He's like, ah, ah, one more thing. Pivot on this for a while. <laughs> this fine gentleman just said pivot frothy and whatever the other one was in, in one sentence. And that's quite a feat. I think we should all acknowledge that. He got up and said that? He didn't get up. He was sitting. But he, oh, but on he mic. said that. Oh, yes. <laughs> Greg. I wish I had tape of the... Uh, Greg and I chatted quite a bit. And, and he was all mic'd up and ready to go. And we were in the back. And I got him like riled up and he started swearing a lot. And I was like, oh, your mic's on. I thought we were going to have a Trump moment. Oh, Billy Bush. <laughs> I was Billy Bush. He was Trump. <laughs> well, we didn't. I don't, unless they have <clears throat> t- tape of that that comes out years down the line. Okay. So I went to the show, Escabona, Austin, Texas. Never been to Austin. Nope. That's one hot mug. Like 90? Yeah. And just thick as thieves in the air. And I was What's wa- thick? The humidity? Just the humidity. It was, ugh. Mm. I mean, you know. Let's just How do you do acknowledge that I don't do well. Is it like? Did you see my hair? It looked kind of <laughs> wild. Not, it, it looked like I was losing it in patches. Um, <laughs> so you get mange when, mange when you're down south. But the butler oh, wait, brother, I thought you were a southern okay. boy. Shouldn't humidity be no problem? Yeah, for you? I think I've lost it. You're a peacock, for God's I, sake. I've lost that uh, capacity to tolerate anything other than perfect weather. Well, good thing you like live we in have Denver. here in Denver, Colorado. Lovely Denver, Colorado. Austin was neat though, because the our good friends, the Butler brothers, yep. partners in crime on some crazy shit coming out of the studio. Look yep. for it soon. We'll tell you about it. By hook or crook, we will get it to you. Famous food celebrities making podcasts. <clears throat> um, they put me up in their office studio. Wonderful. Delightful. I yeah. would wake up at like the crack of dawn. Yeah, I hear you had to clear out before business began. <laughs> before the people showed up to do their actual work, I would get out and walk to this hotel. It would be dark. But I'm looking. It's like very neighborhoody, right? Low. They were on uh, the east side of 6th Avenue. I think 6th Avenue is the party central. If you mm-hmm. go west, maybe. That's the college. I don't know. Um, you'd be walking, and then you'd see like, oh, here's this little shop. Looks like This looks like a barbecue thing. And then down the hill, there'd be like seven food trucks or food like carts. Yeah, food's big there. Yeah. Food and music. I may not have been to Austin, but I know that much. Food and music. People went and saw shows. Well, if you're going to disrupt an industry, you have an event in Austin, right? I guess. South by, bro? (laughs) Disrupt. Disrupting since day one. Disrupting since day one. So my earlier question about disruption was if... If Escabona seeks to disrupt, what is it that they would like to disrupt, Mark? Did you get a sense of that? Food? All right. Takeaways. Takeaways. Maybe that'll help. (laughs) Here's my primary takeaway. You didn't clip your mic cord. You want me to do that right now? You might knock it loose. Okay, I'm going to do that without making a sound. I just wanted to give him a chance to show off his skills here. Oh, 
Another thing that you might not know about Mark, if you haven't listened to this podcast a lot, is that he is extremely dexterous. Tweezer dexterity. Tweezer-like dexterity. <clears throat> okay, here's the takeaways. Food is done. We're the done battles eating? are won. I mean, oh. General Mills was there talking about how they want to relate to this cause and feel... They want to relate to the cause? Well, they the want to appeal to your customers? The good food movement. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Dole. There were lots, lots of big food companies were there. All these... I mean, it's just like it's de rigueur. You know what, the, you know what, you know what it is now. You know how to keep it clean. You know how to, you got to talk about the farmers and how you're farming. You know, you know all this stuff. We. So, so much of the energy and discussion was, was, was laddered up. Oh boy. Haven't used that in Did you just years. say laddered up? Laddered up. Oh boy. Thought leaders coming out here. It was about social justice. All right. And it was about <clears throat> saving the damn planet. With social justice. Change. So we're talking fair wages. If we're talking fair wages, food access. The lack of minority engagement and involvement, even in the show. We had the Gangster Gardener there. Ron Finley opened it up. Oh, I saw some pictures of the Gangster Gardener on stage. It was cool. Social justice. He kicked it off. Here, and here's another takeaway. Mm-hmm. For, an, for authenticity, mm-hmm. just swear. That's all you got to do. I mean, we know. We've been preaching this for this is, 86 episodes. So here's the through theme. You swear a little bit, Ron Finley gets up first thing in the morning, like 8 a.m. with Adam Butler. They have a little unscripted conversation. He's dropping S-bombs, F-bombs. But, I mean, coming out of him, it's just like poetry. Yeah. Mellifluous. God. Adam and him have a great little exchange. It was lovely. It was great. But I'm like, oh, yeah. You just say shit a couple times. This is a new kind of event. This this isn't a big giant Expo West trade show because people are like swearing and having a good time. Like, yeah, that's called podcasting. Yep. Okay. Another takeaway. All right. Mainly because this guy was so compelling. He was the closing keynote. Just, just I don't know, young, 20s, 20-something farmer. Pretty young. They looked, he looked like a farmer, I guess. I don't know. Andrew Pitts. Oh, wait, he looked like he was in his 20s, but he was a farmer? Well, that's That probably true. means he was 12, because farming ages you radically. Uh, here's another issue. Like, the average age of American farmers is 68 or something. How can you farm? At 68. How are you going to eat when there's nobody else farming? Well, we know how to fix that. Do we? Yeah, machines. It'll be fine. Insects. Yeah, we got it. Aronia berries. I think this kind of made a splash a couple years ago, but it's, uh, the, uh, you might know as a chokeberry. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorghums. Sawmill Hollow Family Farm in Iowa. Andrew Pitts. They kind of brought this thing back. It's this old berry. They brought it back, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. Good for him. Wait, don't we know someone who's making some... Chokeberry something? Gotta be our gotta oh. be magical woman defi? No, it was uh that that uh lovely person that interviewed us about podcasts um for a grant, like Not a research key? project. Oh, who's speaking at TEDx? Yeah, her name's Jordan Wurfsbrock. But go, she go no, she brews she brews beer and mead and stuff, and I think it was her choke that said she beer? was making a chokeberry mead. Good for her. Well, she's probably getting it out of the Sawmill Hollow family farm. It's this little farm I don't know. in Iowa. Actually, when, I, when she told me that, I Jesus asked her, I was like, Christ. where did you get your chokeberries? That's one interruption. Question. You just got one. I can interrupt this <laughs> up to four more times. <laughs> it's the new and improved Natch. We're nicer to each other. Oh, yeah. We're not interrupting. <laughs> and I'm going to do... <laughs> okay. Headphones are back on. What? So what's up That's with chokeberries? This, this hat. You could take the hat off. I'm going to take the hat off. Show off your mange. Oh. <laughs> you look like a molting bird. <laughs> Fucking hell. Here. 
So what's the deal fill, with chokeberries? Why the are they a big air. deal? I only bring it up because the guy was so compelling, and he they rightly well orchestrated New Hope. They um they made him the closing keynote. It got very inspirational at the end of the event. Wait, but he just talked. You got you got choked up while he was talking about chokeberries. Is that what you're telling me? Choked up about the chokeberries. He just told his story about like how he got introduced to this industry and how Senator Harkin, Harkin, is that Iowa? Shit. Sounds like it. Yeah, Harkin. Tom. Ah, it's a fuck. chain of movie theaters. Just Google it. Nah, don't bother. <clears throat> like took him under his wing. He was like, yeah, I'm going to come see you at Expo West. He's like, Wait, uh-huh. he's like part Falcon? He's like, uh, the hawk. Uh-huh. And then at Expo West, he's talking to some lady and he like gets a call. He's like, I'm sorry, I have to take it. And the lady's like, oh, you youth of today. Like, this is an important one. And it's Senator Tom Harkin saying, I'm at the show. I'm coming by your booth. Clean up your desk. Make it look good. I'm bringing a bunch of people. Nice. Put them on the map. And this guy grows chokeberries? Yes. Okay. <laughs> God. Well, no, I like that. So this story wasn't about how chokeberries are the superfood no. of the future or anything like that. It was about this was a compelling it's not young about man. antioxidants? Nope. I mean, okay. it may be in their marketing a lot, but who gives a shit about that? But that's that? not what this was about. This was about this young man and how he'd been introduced into the community of the food renegades. All right. Welcome to food ready? This was one of my questions when I was asking people at the show. Yeah. You and I, you know this. We came up with some good ones. We had a, okay, you're, uh, you're forced to eat someone at this show to survive. Who would it be and why? Mm-hmm. Did anybody, one person's going to answer that on this show. That's a good question. We, we asked, I said, I'm not, I, I hear this is a, this is, oh, this is only for food renegades only. I don't know if I'm a food renegade. How do I sign up? Mm-hmm. We had, uh, have you ever eaten a Soylent Bar and Shat the Bed? No, but I didn't ask that one to anybody. Chicken down on that one. You <laughs> choked. What was the first one? Oh, we hear food is a dirty word. That's the tagline for the event. What have you done that's dirty this week? Got a good Ooh, one. I like that one. We got a good one coming for that one. Okay, so anyway, this guy was great. I'm talking about the community. He was doing shout outs to like all the people that had helped him. He was Siggy's Icelandic yogurt guy. Oh, yeah. The guy was a big beard. Siggy. Siggy himself? I always gave up, give, give Siggy a big hug. Was his name Siggy? Siggy. It's named after him? I think so. All right. Oh, what a time you had, Mark. That's my show update. Thank you to the Butler Brothers for putting me up and inviting me. Thank you to New Hope for running it. What kind of surprises did you leave at their office, Mark? Oh, none. Because I know Mark stays up late. I didn't sleep well. Oh, that, that makes it even creepier for them. So you're just like lurking around in their office, not being able yep, to sleep. Pretty much. <laughs> Taking stock. Like, ooh, this is a messy desk. But if you... This is a clean desk. You know, if you're listening to this and you went to the event, or if you're not, but you want to see what it was like on my little trip, I got a little photo collage right here in our outline. How would someone gain access to said oh photo my collage? God, it couldn't be easier. You go to the website, natch.is, go to the show page, click the damn newsletter link. That's a lot of Sign steps. up. Or, you want an easier way? Mm-hmm. Text me. Text the Soundhawk. 303-548-6877. Just Say newsletter, email. That's your email address. Done. All right. So here's a little photo collage. There's a picture of us uh, about to have lunch. There's Adam Butler running a blitz with some blue tape. Doesn't he look? He's got, look at him. He's he like looks a, like a real stud. He looks like a It's like a 50s outsiders. He kind of looks like a. It's like an, the Andy Griffith hair. It's Andy Griffith hair. He looks a little like Robert Mitchum to me in that. Striking. He's got that man. attitude. <laughs> He is. He's full of attitude. <laughs> oh, my God. See this picture of 4G? Oh, my God. <laughs> Do I ever? <laughs> you can, like, feel the energy coming off of him so just looking at that picture. So much energy off of him. What a special guy. Um, and some sugar? Giant bowls of sugar at a change the food event. 
That's interesting. Yeah, well, you need it in your coffee, I guess. And then this badge. There's unfortunate a couple typos on there, but that's all right. That's bad. This bade. This bade signifies that you are a good food renegade with tenacious hunger for impact and the affinity for outrageous ideas. You don't just connect dots, you make them. This badge is evidence of your cred. Wear with honor, speak the good truth, and move out food system forward. Escobonus. Move out troops. Picture of Adam's desk, nice and tidy. Picture of Marty, his brother's desk, across the room, not so tidy. Hmm. Picture of some sorghum ale that this I ate This is interesting because this is... You're more of an Adam desk guy. I'm more of an Adam desk guy. I am more of a Marty look desk at that. guy. And I'm the strategist and that's the creative and never the twain shall meet. I look at Marty's desk and I assume he's got a lot of like half filled, messy, weird folders on his computer too. Oh, like he God. Like he knows where shit is. Marty. But no one else knows. Is that true, Marty? Send us a tweet. Tell us about your desk and your, your system desktop. of organization because I, I have a feeling it mirrors mine a little bit and that's uh, scary for both of us. All right. Here it comes. So in this episode, we're also we're going to have four. I think we have Wait, four or five. What about this beer? Sorghum beer. I, I ordered that just for you. I like it. Sorghum beer. It was tasty. I don't have much to say. You do not have an opinion of this beer with sorghum in it? A grain that could save us in this most dire of times? And You're- now, for the first of four, in the field interviews recorded at Escobona, we're going to get to the heart of the matter what it takes to convene, collaborate, and disrupt food. Like Don Henley, heart of the matter? This is an Esca Minute. I've with been trying to get down. What? To the heart of the matter. Even this is. Even a, can I speak? This yep. is an Esca Minute with Adam Butler of the Butler Brothers, our show partner on, on some hot shit coming out of the studio. That's for sure. We've got to call with him in a couple hours. Um. If you want to sponsor any of that stuff, just just shoot me a text. Call Adam. We'll While t- you're on tell it. you what's While up. While you're at it, get on the newsletter. Now, this also features a brief cameo by Greg Bagney. AKA, we'll just call him 4G from now on. Okay. Yeah, that's Greg from Greg's Eggs, which you have heard on Natch before. And I encourage you to stick around to the end of the show for a full dose of FG, 4G, not FG, 4G at his best. Adam Butler. Ooh, might be a little hot. Oh, look at that hot, a little hot. Turning down your level. Level, 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 level. Back here at Escobono. Okay, okay. Right now. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I'm coming. We're recording coming. here. I'll let him go. Okay. Adam Butler. I'm interviewing Adam Butler. Greg, you had your turn. Frothy pivot or... Oh, yeah. Adam. Yes. You're doing a great job as MC of this event, Escobona. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'd like to thank you for sponsoring this interview. You're welcome. That's Natch and Mark. CPMs, Mark 100 per. <laughs> Question on the table is that this event is for food renegades. I am not a food mm. renegade. How do I sign up? I think it has a lot to do with the type of socks that you wear. I think that they have to be off color. They have to be much brighter than the muted uh, upper body wardrobe that you choose. And I think they're just socks that have to make a statement. And if you're willing to do that, I think that can gain you renegade status. Okay. Next question. You have to eat one person from Escalabona. Who do you pick and why? I think I'd go with the Dave Kingsbury steak. Um, salt and pepper, salt and pepper on top, lightly salted. Um, and then just a body that is, it's just so lean, so much lean muscle mass. And grass-fed. For the record, we call him Charge Kingsbury, just so you know. 
Okay. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Good answer. I've I've met Chard Charge. I almost said Chard because I would eat some Chard Kingsbury steak. You met him? What? Oh yeah, you did on our Boulder day. Our yeah, Boulder extravaganza. I sh- we shared a, like an eighty dollar bottle of beer. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, we did. I've got the uh, credit card statement to prove it. <laughs> charge. It was good to see Charge. We'll hear. I think we'll we'll talk about him in a minute. All right. Get to your beer review, Josh. Oh, now uh, we're gonna spend a little time with Josh. I've been hogging all the time with my Escobota talk. Yeah, this is now. This is Josh's Josh pile of home. random. Yep. No, my brother. Food uh, news coming eventually. Yep. We're not there yet. It'll be after the interlude. All right. I think I think they'll be okay. So my brother's a home brewer. Brews his own beer. Uh, and he made a milk stout called El Heezy's Milk Steezy. Oh, boy. Okay. Milk stout. Branded it, huh? Well, I just asked him. I, I said, hey, what's that milk stout called? And that's what he texted me back. It was a wonderful milk stout. I had it with pizza. Uh you know, it's made with lactose, I believe, is used, the, the sugar that you use to, to kick off mm. fermenting. Can you handle that in your tender gut? I can. It was good. It was really, what's interesting is it's, there's not actual milk in it, but it tastes creamy. Hmm. At least this one did. Uh, my brother had a little trouble with carbonation. He said it's really hard to carbonate when you're bottling. So it was a little flat. Oh. I'm not going to hold that against him, though. No, it's a homemade beer. Mm-hmm. It was good. And then it's I realized... quibble. Well, no, I, I, I drank the beer. I love the beer. It's delicious beer. I, he was the one who pointed out it was flat. I wasn't, I was like, yeah, okay. this is good. Great. Good review. Well, then I realized I really don't like beer reviews. I don't like talking about flavor profiles and stuff. Ugh. But then I was reading this article, I think it was in Smithsonian and it was all about, um, you know, for years, hop farmers have been encouraged to hop. not allow wild hops hop to farmers. creep in to their hop crops because... <laughs> There are some some funguses and things that can really fuck up a hop crop, and they think that uh, you know if you keep the wild hops out, you don't fuck up the hop crop. You lessen the you lessen the likelihood that your hops will get. God, ask any hop up. farmer. You do not want to fuck up a hop crop. But you know this article spent a lot of time talking about hops and the different flavors of uh, hopped ales, and I just I found a, a beer review that I liked, or at least a flavor profile critique. So listen to this. Can't wait. Food writer Maggie Dutton. Does the most interesting job of describing the English-American hops divide. On the tongue, English style... Oh, you you, you no. added more to this. No, I didn't. Oh, did I put all this in? Yeah, I didn't touch this. Oh, okay. <laughs> On the tongue, English style IPA feels much the same as a strong black tea that has been brewed too long. Mm. Your taste buds will feel like suede rubbed the wrong way. Mm. Oh. I kind of oh, like that. How good is that? Suede rubbed the wrong way. You, you instantly... What does what does 4G think of that? Suede rubbed the wrong way, right? Ooh. 4G. Uh, with an American style IPA, you're likely to think tiny kittens have just skidded across your tongue, claws blazing, leaving your mouth scoured of all but the hint of hop. Jeez, these are that, that's some good writing. Props to Maggie Dutton. I know, right? And forget about my beer review. That's great beer, like yeah. I loved your beer. Yeah. Let's but, give, uh, send some to Maggie and see what she does with it. I think that's what you need to do. Clearly, I'm not equipped no, you're not. to review this, you're not. Uh, your beer. What you are equipped to do is still be crushing. Is pick them. In the face! Josh's weekly NFL picks. Yep. Uh, still in the lead. Did not Unbelievable. You are? Did not fare. No one fared oh, well last God, week, I don't you. think. All right, it was a rough on. week. You're 20 points ahead of Amber DeBalls. Cody Galloway still hanging. Put it in my end zone. 
So oh, you'll, you'll like this. So I emailed my brother. What's this actually, new one? Ditka is driving the bus. Okay, that's good too. So I was texting with my brother, and I knew that you were really curious about who uh, Amber DeBalls was. <laughs> well, I'm more curious about putting it in my end zone, well, but that's okay. So, so I asked my brother, I said, who is Amber DeBalls? And uh, his, his uh, sister-in-law, Tammy, we'll call her Tammy, uh, he said, oh, that's one of Tammy's friends. And I said, oh, is, is DeBalls her last name? And he said, no, she's just a perv. Okay. I was like, good. oh, okay, well, that's good. And I said, well, well, then who the hell has put it in my end zone? Yeah. He's like, oh, that would be Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Tammy and her friend. Are yeah. bringing it, and they're creeping up on me. Making it raw, creeping up. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Now you're still good. I mean, you've been in the lead for a while, buddy. I think four weeks Unheard now. of. Now, why are there so many picks this week? I've only picked uh, five, but they're spread out across oh, the board. Oh, I see. Okay. So I've picked the Oakland Raiders. They're uh, 1.5 point underdogs to the Jaguars. I think they're going to okay. beat that spread and beat like the Jaguars. I like that pick. I like it. I think the Vikings are going to continue to do well. I think they're going to beat the Eagles, and I think they're going to do it by a greater than 2.5 point deficit. They'll cover the spread. They will cover the spread. God, spoken like a pro. Ooh, I need to change this pick. I'd pick the Steelers to upset the Patriots, but Whoa. Ben Roethlisberger, I think, is going into surgery. So I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna swap that pick. Uh, okay, I need to remember to do that before Sunday because I think the Patriots will destroy the Patriots, Steelers. Seven point spread, Steelers. De- okay. Uh, I think the Keep Seahawks. Keep picking the Broncos, huh? Oh no, here we go. Seahawks. Seahawks are gonna beat the Cardinals, and yeah, the Broncos they fucked me last week. They did hard. Uh, but was, I think they were rough. I'm picking them here because. If they don't win, this might be the last time I pick them for a while because... <laughs> Ooh, take that, Broncos. Well, I mean, hey, they got to be... It's, it's Brock Osweiler, their what, former what is your, quarterback. Oh, what, what a missed opportunity. For what? Your alias in the, uh, the... What do you call this again? In the face? No, that's the segment. What do you call when you a, play this? A betting game? pool? Yeah, but it's... Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. We're, we're... What do you call it? Uh, a league, a betting league. A... Not yet. No, there's a word for this! What? A betting pool? I'm in a, I'm in a, oh my God, draft. Uh, it's not a draft. Oh, shit. I'm caught in a trap. Oh, whatever. I can't think so of So you it. thought I should have a better handle. You could have a better handle. You went with Josh Tyson. You could have. I created that handle when I first started missed, this league and I was not very committed to it. Missed opportunity. Because I was still like not, meh, football, but more into football now. So what would it be? Let's imagine you're going to redo it right now. Uh, Derridus? No. The sound? No. Oh, yeah, that's what you wanted to start calling me. Is Why don't the you sound. call it uh, Deep Crevice? Ooh, yeah, Deep Crevice is good. It's ch- I thought of you. It's, the seasons are changing. That's also been a rough time for your sphincter. It's not so much my sphincter. It's my, the inside of my butt cheeks. Okay. I have deep cheeks. They're actually doing really good. But my normal remedy is you, just, you get the Preparation H pads. Those aren't just for hemorrhoids. I saw them on they your toilet. They have witch hazel. Uh-huh. They're good. Everyone uses those for a final wipe in this house. Okay, comes another Eskimo minute. This is, uh, this is, we got bugs. This is one about bugs. I think we got a few people speaking here. So let me introduce Robert Nathan Allen, of mm-hmm. little, little Herds. Okay. Let me introduce Alyssa Sears of Christie and Co. Now this is, uh, this is uh, Charge Kingsbury's new home. He's our a- favorite knight of the food roundtable, Charge Kingsbury. Where formerly, is he? Formerly of New Hope. He's working with Alyssa at Christie and Co. All right. So those it's- are the principles? Well, then I think we're also going to hear at the very tail end, Mr. Pat Crowley, Chapool. He's making the goddamn cricket bar. I've had a Chapool bar. You bet you have. We've had it on this show. Yeah. Pat, he was great. Go Chapool. All right. See how that looks. That's looking good. That's looking good. 
Okay. Escabona, day three, with Robert. Little herd? Herds. Herds. Little herds. What's it going to take to get people to eat this stuff? It's going to get people... It's, it's really just about getting them to take that first bite. Uh, we know it's strange, we know it's weird for Western consumers, but when you look at the nutrition, the resource efficiency, the sustainability, how humane it is compared to other livestock options, and then you can abstract it and put it in cookies and crackers and chips and pastas, it's really easy to get folks to try that first bite and break down that mental taboo. And then they're a lot more open to not just the idea of eating insects, but just exploring new foods in general. And it seems like all the interest right now is... Well, most more interesting crickets than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing is mealworms. Yeah. So it's well, and it's it's we've barely scratched the surface of which insect species we can eat and which insect species are the most optimal to farm or have the best nutrition profiles. So crickets is kind of the gateway bug. Mealworms, grasshoppers, those are kind of the second wave. And then it's 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 an open vista of what else we can find that has you know maybe there's a super bug. It's an open vista. Yeah. Well, try something. All right. Yeah, so we've got a, a couple different bars here. We've got a Dutch chocolate milkshake and some spiced dry roasted crickets. A Dutch chocolate milkshake. Alyssa's going to try something. Dutch chocolate milkshake with what? With cricket protein. Go for it. Which Do you have one that doesn't have sugar? Um, <laughs> You're going to have to eat the raw, raw I bug then. I, I do like, not have oh, anything that... Does not have. All right, I'll do the sugar. Well, yeah, actually, these would be no sugar because they're just dry roasted with like chili. That's dry roasted what? Dry roasted crickets with chili powder. Crickets are easy. Do that. No, no, I think you should have one of those too. Let's do this. Oh, Oh, let's do that together. Yeah. There's enough to share. Cheers. Oh, you gotta do a whole. Oh, you just do one. Okay. I'll do two. Cheers. Cheers. That's not bad. Just like a yeah. It's like a. I kind of looked at it. Wasn't quite sure, but. And see, now you're breaking those That's mental amazing. hurdles down. You're breaking those taboos. Yeah. Okay, so the question I have, I've been tra- we've been working through this on the show. Price per pound for beef, yep. price per pound for cricket flour protein. Yeah. That's got to get better, right? Before. Correct. Yeah. What are they at kind of like roughly? Beef's like three, four, five bucks if you get it cheap. A pound. Yeah? Yeah, crickets are about the same. It is? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that's down. It's, I, I uh, remember looking at you're like compa- you're probably comparing cricket flour. I am. Yeah. So if you may, if you turn the beef into a flour and you took out all the water weight, so it's already there. Yeah. Price parity is there. It's close. It's close. No, it's it's yeah four dollars wholesale. You buy it wholesale and put it in a bar and it's this. So the raw material that bell's great. Yeah. The raw material. There's not a retail market, so I, I yeah, probably okay. don't want to. All right, all right. Talk to economics. But, right. uh, so that I thought that was a barrier that's not even there. Right, but it's just about yeah. consumer acceptance. You need this. Yeah, guy so to, you have to compare the the protein to like a whey protein or soy protein or. I don't even compare it to soy, but like a, a higher end, like a pea protein, or and then it's pretty price competitive. Thanks, sir. Killer reporting, Mark. I got to the heart of it there at the end. I was when trying you, to get some intel. And you ate a bug. Oh yeah, we ate a bug. What? How about Robert? It's an open vista. I like and that. The gateway bug and the second wave. The only thing I would advise him not to keep using in his marketing is super bug. Well, he just came up with that. On the no, phone. I know. I'm just saying. He was having fun. Bad connotations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a virus that'll wipe us all out kind of thing. End of civilization as we know it. Super bug. Hey, but the price uh, per pound is down, so that's good. You could feel the energy of that show. A lot of, a lot of insect energy. A lot of bells going off. 
Who doesn't love cricket the powder? The whole Bell segment, my thanks to all those people. I liked that one. And there were Hare Krishnas in the background. Totally. That's Escabona, baby. But now. Oh, geez. It's time. It I feel is. like we need like a little musical break. Like, well, we got to finish this before we get to it. It's the Joan Didion Book Club. It's the Joan Didion The Year Book of Magical Club. Thinking. Did you notice the visual trickery that takes place on this oh, cover? Oh, I noticed. Okay. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Only the second time. I've read this years ago, but I'm reading it again. And That's the first time you told me that you've already read this. Oops, sorry. Why, I don't you, remember why were you withholding it? that? I don't know. I, I wasn't. It's a little creepy. Join the book club. Joan Didion, Your Magical Thinking. Episode 85. We did chapters one and two. This is episode 86. We're going to do chapters three and four. Yep. So don't get, very, don't get too sad. It'll be okay. I'm not too... I like this book. I got some notes. I like the idea of magical thinking, uh, but it's, you know, it's like accidental. She arrives there and she realizes this is what it's going to take to get through this. Is this weird reluctant, reluctance to accept? We're getting thicker into it, aren't we? Uh, Death. She's getting more magical. <laughs> well, and that's not a good thing. She's getting more <laughs> magical. Her thinking is getting more magical. So here's my notes. She's becoming more unicorn-like. Very beginning, chapter three. The mourner is in fact ill. Quoting from some study, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Freud? Is this Freud? Freud? No, this is Melanie Klein in her 1940 thing. The mourner is in fact ill, but because this state of mind is common and seems so natural to us, we do not call mourning an illness. To put my conclusion more precisely, I should say that in mourning, the subject goes through a modified and transitory manic-depressive state and overcomes it. It's natural, baby. Yep. But you know what? When I read that, and I was like, oh, manic-depressive state, I'll bet you we, we, let's medicalize that. Let's try to keep people from grieving. We can give them a pill, make them feel A-okay. Yeah, I can see that being a, Don't do it. a desired outcome, but you really need to process this shit. I think that's what this book's all about. Not only that, the funeral that had waited on her recovery, her daughter Quintana's in the ICU. The funeral, wait, she she waits like months for the funeral until her daughter's well. It's a ballsy move. It's the right thing to do, probably. Good for her. Well, it's probably harder on her to not. But she talks about like the funeral. Oh, this is good too. This is good for you. Oh, I'd see, I had underlined some things about the obituary. Like she refuses to read his obituaries. Uh-huh. And she avoids even acknowledging that the rest of the world knows that he's dead until she sees his picture in the uh, in memoriam montage during the Academy Awards. Oh, that's right. And she says, I had allowed other people to think he was dead. I had allowed him to be buried alive. <sighs> Brutal. Now, wait a minute. So do you remember <clears throat> the story she tells about how their routine in Central Park? Yep. They would they both go up, different ways. They both walk to the park, but then they take different paths through the park, and then they come together at the end. So this... This spurred something in me. Did it? Yes. The people are different, and that's okay. But whenever I go on a business trip yeah. with someone, let's go to, let's go to uh, uh, Cold Spring with you. That happened? Yeah. Some people uh-huh. nightly call to wife and kids, checking in. How you doing? Me? Nope. You don't give a shit. Zero calls. <laughs> it's not oh. that I don't give a shit. There's just a different level of... In- it's like... We go into the park and we go separate ways and then we come back at the end. It's just a different, it's like a version of independence that you kind of, yeah, you're not with me. No, I am. What I'm saying is that's a better way to live. No, there was a, there was a follow up. What, my way's better? I'm kidding. It's not a better way. People are different. Well, I called my wife a lot. Most people do. I know. I always, I, it makes me feel a little weird when I'm like, well, I don't really need to call her. Like, oh, you're calling Nicole, huh? We'll be fine. It's just two nights. Why? I didn't call from Escobona. 
Although my kids have started calling all the time. Quinn, six. Does they want to hear that happen over here? Just don't care. She's learned how to use the phone. She picks up the phone and calls people all the time. Unaided, unabetted. We don't even know what happened. She just picks up the phone and calls people? She calls her uncles. She calls her grandparents. She calls me. Just to say hi? Or does she have like deep shit? Yeah, she's like, hi, what are you doing? Okay, I went, I did this today. Great. Okay. Hey, the waters run deep with young Quinn, so... You could be learning as much from her as she is learning from you. Moving on. Wait, but no, you were talking about that. So listen to this. I actually read this portion of the book to my wife. The Central Park part? No, no, no. This part where she's um, the two kinds of grief. Okay. Uh, Why don't you read it to me? Okay. There were, I also learned from this literature, two kinds of grief. The preferred kind, the one associated with growth and development was uncomplicated grief or normal bereavement. Mm Mm-hmm. The second kind was complicated grief, yeah. which is, was also known in the literature as pathological bereavement. Yeah. It was said to occur in a variety of situations. One situation in which pathological bereavement could occur, I read repeatedly, what is that in which the survivor and the deceased had been unusually dependent on one another? There you go. Was the bereaved actually very dependent on Quit the deceased that person call every night. for pleasure, support, or esteem? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's Nicole and I. We, we feed each other's... I'll bet the themes, and we're very, yeah, we're supportive. We're very connected. Um, so you'll have a lovely life together, and then one of you will die, and it will be miserable. That's that's what we were talking about. Complete we were sitting misery. right there. You will collapse. Sitting right there, talking about this. I was reading this to her, and we were both just like, "Fuck, terrible." Just, but then he, she didn't talks I tell about you that. That's the that's the hardest moment in life. That was in chapter two, whenever she she was watching her husband die. Yeah, like she didn't die, but watched I'm, it happen. I'm here to watch it. And then you're still there. Then you're still there. Well, listen to this. <sighs> once like in 1968, when sorg- I needed... My sorghums is flaring up right now. Once in 1968, this is Joan here, when I needed unexpectedly to spend the night in San Francisco, I was doing a piece. It was <sighs> raining. The rain pushed a late afternoon interview to the next morning. John flew up from Los Angeles so that we could have dinner together. I mean... Well, now, so that's great. You're making a great point there. What I'm saying is when I read that to Nicole, she was like, oh, would have absolutely done that. Oh, see, not even... Uh, not even on our radar in yeah. our house. Not, we wouldn't even consider that. Oh, no. Jenny would be like, oh, he's going to be gone another night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's just, I don't know. I think people are built differently, right? It's like, oh, Absolutely. this is a chance to sort of be independent, be myself, and I don't have to deal with them right now. <laughs> I value that as well. <sighs> not, you know what the best part of that, though, is? That it was a fucking $13 flight. Well, then she talks about, yeah, there were these $13 special flights flight. on these planes that had a smile painted on the tail, so they called them smile flights. And then Those are at different some times, point, man. Think years later... It. Think about it. Oh, yeah. The, this mood ended in 1978 when a PSA Boeing 727, so that's one of the cheap flights, collided with a Cessna 172 over San Diego, killing 144. 13... Do you think they were worried about swapping out meat proteins for cricket proteins when you can take a $13 flight Mm-mm. without giving a shit, no care in the world. Well, hey. We were born too late. Joni and jo- uh, John, they like to eat at Morton's. They're steak people. They're not into the crickets. Uh, you overlooked this part at the beginning of chapter four where she just we're getting a little glimpses of the funeral. Mm-hmm. We had a single soaring trumpet. I like that. I'll bet you liked that. Yeah. Her daughter got up and read a poem about her deceased dad in the same cathedral where she had been married eight months before. Jesus. Yikes. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm going to make it through this book. I'm going to. Uh, Towards the end of chapter four, she 
digs into Emily Post, <laughs> Look, into a book of etiquette. Food. There's a lot of food talk in there. There is. Let's close on that. Yeah. Yeah. I highlighted some. Like, oh. listen to this. Um, so she says, the tone of unfailing specificity never flags. So it's, that's Emily Post. It's like, this is specifically what you need to do to help someone grieve. Right. The emphasis remains on the practical. The bereaved must be urged to, quote, sit in a sunny room, preferably one with an open fire. Food, but, quote, very little food may be offered on a tray. Tea, coffee, bouillon, a little thin toast, a poached egg, milk, but only heated milk. Cold milk is bad for someone who is already overchilled. As for further nourishment, the cook may suggest something that appeals usually to their taste, but very little should be offered at a time. For although the stomach may be empty, the palate rejects the thought of food and digestion is never in best order. Hey, spot on probably. Yeah, Emily Post, bringing it. Later, those who are in great distress want no food, but if it is handed to them, they will mechanically take it. That's right. And something warm to start digestion and stimulate impaired circulation is what they most need. I'm with There her. was something arresting about the matter-of-fact wisdom here. The instinctive understanding of the physiological disruptions, changes in the endocrine immune Oh, auto, uh, full body meltdown coming. atomic nervous and cardiovascular systems that is something that i i don't know this so this relates to the sorghums soundhawk speaks um the weird way that mental distress manifests in the body mm-hmm. that does not fucking happen in your 20s or 30s oh this again that i am gripped by it me too. And then My you don't, tinnitus is tinnitus, bothering but, the shit out of me. And it's these conditions where you don't know if it's like mental, physical, I don't know, what the fuck? <sighs> she describes in great detail how many things, uh, persons under the shock of genuine affliction are not only upset mentally, but are all unbalanced physically. Cold, unstrung, sleepless, nerves, etc. Blah, 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 blah. I think one of my favorite parts of this chapter, though, is she addresses something that I think about all the time, which is a Western attitude towards death. It's towards the end of chapter four. Yeah, that's a good part. Philippe Elias, in a series of lectures he delivered at John Hopkins in 1973 and later published as Western Attitudes Towards Death from Middle Ages to the Present, noted that beginning about 1930, there had been in most Western countries, and particularly in the United States, a revolution in accepted attitudes toward death. Death, he wrote, so omnipresent in the past that it was familiar would be effaced, would disappear, it would become shameful and forbidden. And then you got this, the English sociological anthropologist Jeffrey Gorer, in his 1965 Death, Grief, and Mourning, described this rejection of public mourning as a result of the increasing pressure of a new, quote, ethical duty to enjoy oneself, a novel imperative to do nothing which might diminish the enjoyment of others. Yeah, huh? So, so silly. It's all about, So huh? silly. So Hiding pointless. death, acting like he doesn't affect you, sterilizing it, come on. Not realizing it's right over your left shoulder. All right, here's the last point, and then we will continue. But we will not continue the book club in next week's episode. That is a special episode yep. in our How to Live series, the fourth installment. Yep. But the week after that, we'll go ahead and do uh, chapters five and six. Yeah. Why not? When someone dies, I was taught growing up in California, you bake a ham. You drop it by the house. Then I wondered, this is me now speaking, mm-hmm. what would the equivalent of that be in today's era? Do you still drop off the ham? Maybe. In some cities and cultures, no. And what does she respond to? Kanji. I will not forget the instinctive wisdom of the friend who every day for those first few weeks brought me a quart container of scallion and ginger kanji from Chinatown. Kanji I could eat. Kanji was all I could eat. 
Joni D. Um, so now we have. We're gonna we we're gotta, gonna give you a song, and then we're we gonna come back interlude with the food news from Chasms. This song is called. What is it called? It's in the Google Doc. Chat. You can go with Chasms, are you? What would you say? Chasms. I like Chasms. Unbelievable. We'll go. We'll go. And it's from the album On the Legs of Purified of Love Purified. On the Legs of Love Purified Chasms, if you okay. must. I must. This is a, a duo from San Francisco. They craft, quote, percussive dirges that are at once beautiful and menacing. You got some <laughs> haunting vocals, some hypnotic guitar work, some finger dexterity. And from there, Mark, we're gonna go right on into another Escabona moment. Do you want to set that one up for us there, buddy? We're going to go right into it. I didn't know that. We're going to go right into it. Mm -hmm. You bet I can set it up. So one of my longstanding themes is as a, as a, um, what'd you call me? A thought leader. Whatever. Um, how is the natural food discussion going to connect with the food deck discussion? Mm. There are, there are common goals, very different paths involved. So we have a food tech minute with a young guy. I mean, I looked at this guy. His eyes were full of wonder, mm-hmm. full of hope. I, th- he, I think he must have been at least 12 years old. Ryan Pandia of Perfect Day. All right. Food tech. Before that, we Making have... Making milk without cows. Chasms. We'll go, as in, we'll go to the future of food. We'll go to Escobar. I gotta go to the bathroom. Can you play the damn song? We'll go to the bathroom. Can you? Can you? I don't know. God, I gotta go!
that how's that how's that It'll, it won't be perfect yeah, that's yeah. okay it's a podcast right totally. <laughs> it's allowed to be a little not produced okay yeah so last day of escabona uh Tell me what Perfect Day is, what you're up to. Perfect Day is a two-and-a-half-year-old food tech company developing a way to make all your favorite dairy products totally animal-free. And so this crowd here seems to have a knee-jerk response, fearful of technology, right? And I'm wondering how... I've been interested for a number of years, right, as we've seen what's, what's going on on the different coasts in this country, like how they can sort of embrace that, understand it. Why not ask you? Yeah, you know, and actually I've felt nothing but welcomed here, and that, that's true. And I think, you know, there, there has been a knee-jerk reaction to food technology, and I think that's because people associate it with some combination of Monsanto seeds and Doritos, you know, the product. And it's like, food tech is not all that. There are new, there's a new wave of startups that are trying to do things that I think are very much value-aligned with uh, the old guard of, of sort of not wanting to deal with food technology at all. Um, and, and I think the onus is a little bit on the company to explain why they're doing it, what the technology is, and how it can actually benefit people. And so for us, that's what we're trying to do, is go out there early. We're a year and a half away from commercializing our first animal-free dairy product. We're still we're trying to talk to people about what should we call everything, how can we explain this in a way where we're being accurate but also appetizing. It's tough. And so we actually really do invite people's feedback and their thoughts on what kind of phrasing we should use and everything. And that's the last last question I have is sort of because I, I was talking about what you're up to with somebody in the hall after and it's kind of like I loved it, I loved it until I realized it was GM yeast. And it's kinda like how do you how do you how do you what would you say to someone <laughs> like that, right? Because I mean it's it's tricky. I think I think part of the answer to that is ten thousand years ago humans were consuming dairy, but there was no such thing as a black and white Holstein cow. We bred that thing over the course of ten thousand years. We don't know what the hell we did to the genome. We, for example, we know it made more milk. We don't know why it turned black and white. That was not maybe it was cuter, but whatever it is, right? We're changing genes every day. Every time we breed something, we're changing genes. We're changing millions of genes that we have no idea about, except for the couple you know, that make it greener or that make it sweeter or whatever it is that we're controlling. With genetic engineering, we finally have the ability to say, here's, here's the thing, I want it to do one more thing than it does, or one less thing than it does, and you can make that exact change and nothing more, nothing less. It's very controlled, it's very safe. As long as, you, in my opinion, as long as you're doing the right thing the right way for the right reasons, everyone will be on board, and that's been our experience so far. We're not here to make a crunchier Dorito, right? We're here to make delicious dairy products that are super clean and green and that's something right it's hard to find today what's so like what's the, what's so tell that person why you have to do that to the yeast yeah i mean look we have to do maybe that maybe you don't have to but <laughs> why do you want to right what's the why do we want to there's so, a reason yeah there is a reason and basically for, from our perspective um the way that milk is is taken from cows today uh is often not great i'm not going to say it's never great because we've met farmers that do amazing work with their cows and they, they know them they pet them right they take care of them and they're well fed and, and their nutrients are everything right there's a way to do it right, but even if you eat that really, you know, properly made dairy, you're virtually guaranteed later that day to not eat properly made dairy because some 90-something percent of our dairy is factory farmed, and no one is on team factory farm. And if you are, you should get off that team, mm -hmm. right? So I, my answer to that is as follows. It's, it's not going to be possible to have a de-industrialized food system. It's not going to happen. With a world of 9, 10 billion people, the food system will be industrialized. The question is, how do we industrialize it? Do we pack a bunch of cows into one room, pump them with antibiotics and hormones, slap a, you know, a green non-GMO label on it so it sounds pretty, but it isn't, right? 
and, and you know, make it literally illegal for people to go film the inside of your farm, mm -hmm. right? That's the path we're on today. And what we're saying is, look, there's a way to industrialize it that you don't even have to hide. You can talk about all the nitty-gritty details because it's just plain cool, and it's safe, and it's clean, and it's kind. Well, I mean, having been to inside this industry for a number of years, right, it was always about food, and it was always about these different levels of quality and achieving better food in the food system. The conversation is more and more about social justice and carbon in the soil, right? Yeah. And like, why not share intelligence, cooperate, align values, exactly. save the planet, right? Yeah, and one other point I want to make is um, we have the ability, and I, I, we're really going to try as hard as we can to do this, to democratize the making of milk using brewing instead of animal husbandry. And the way I've heard it said, it's I love beer. this. I it's, heard that. It's like beer, but 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 uh, my point is is broader than that, which is that farmers are the original entrepreneurs. Like this this fellow that just spoke, such a great job. Now he's growing aronia berries. Yes, he's the sixth generation farmer, but he's the first one to be doing aronia berries, right? And so, you know, to people, I think only two percent of the country is, is involved in agriculture right now, and a lot of them are, you know, in their sixties and everything, yeah, sure. right? We can we can democratize the, the way to make milk using yeast, and it can be something everyone from a home brewer. You can do it as a hobby. You can do it as a small startup, a microbrewery. You can do it as a big company like a Danone or a Nestle or whatever. Everyone can do it this way. It's not right because that's the other part of it. Part of it is the technology is being done the right way for the right reasons. But the the other part of it is we're not here to become right the monolithic hellish company that we control animal free dairy, and that's not the goal at all. It's it's everyone's movement. Food tech, baby. Nicely done. <clears throat> I forgot to ask him. I wanted to ask him. You know, he started on that whole thing, like everybody can do it, like your home kit. Yeah. I'm thinking it's CRISPR. They got some CRISPR in this bitch. Some yeast editing. They're doing something with CRISPR. Like you can do it out of a strip mall. We could all do it. I don't know. He he did make a... It got, it got It started off, they were up on stage. It was him and Adam. And Adam was like trying to figure out what to ask him. And then... Ryan just opened up. He was like, I'm here. I don't know if you guys are going to like me, but I'm here. That's what I'm doing. It's kinda I like, like him. It's kind of like making beer. You like him. I do. I liked his point, too, that we're already like locked into an industrialized food system. There's too many fucking people on the planet. Yeah. That I agree with. Totes. Totes and goats, dude. And like, <clears throat> yeah. Cut <laughs> animals out of the picture. Make it more sustainable. Thanks to greener. Ryan. Thanks for coming to that show. Thanks for engaging. Um, that was very, we need, very we need, earnest, Mark. I just wanted to. We need the youth. We're going to let you know that you're doing a really good job of honoring Escobona. Me? Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. What? Okay. I don't know what happened. Food news. Eventually. Here it is. All right. Two, I think there's just two stories. I like to tell people how many stories there are. <clears throat> how much water should you drink a day? Your throat will tell you. Claire Wilson, new scientist. Is and this coming to us via your curiosity about your sorghums? There may be a, the the war you're waging against sorghum's disease. A response in there for everybody listening for the first time. That is not a real condition. No, there's a real condition that sounds close to sorghum's that Mark Shogrins. thinks he might have. Shogrins, much to Mark's chagrin, know. he thinks he has. Shogrins. I don't think I have it. They've said you could test for. If you're new to the show, it, though, you don't produce saliva. And you but actually, if like you're listening mouth. to the show because you interacted with Mark Brush at Escabona, he no doubt told you that he has upper respiratory problems. <laughs> it's like one of the first. It's his icebreaker. He gets a tight I chest. Know, I don't know if I do or I don't. Oh, <laughs> tight chest. He also has a bad back. <laughs> we both have bad backs. Welcome to the show. We both have bad backs. I've got some mysterious phantom asthma and you've got uh, tinnitus. Yep. I've got a devilish ringing in my ear. 
my left ear. The podcaster who had tinnitus. Yeah. Well, death, it's death. It's death over my left shoulder humming. Or it could be you're dehydrated. Actually, it's aliens. I thought you were going to say something tinnitus there. We quote, we rarely pay attention to the business of swallowing, but it may play a subtle role in controlling our fluid intake on top of our conscious feelings of thirst. If we are dehydrated, swallowing is effortless. If we are overhydrated, swallowing feels more difficult, putting us off drinking. According to a study by Michael Farrell at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia, and his team. Oh, yeah. That's, you know what I've noticed this, but you're, you've got a deliberate swallow sometimes. I was a, intentionally swallowing into the mic just now. No, but the same thing that I've noticed in myself. This is a produced segment. I wanted there to be swallowing sounds. I, you might have uh, sorghums too, and you don't even know it. <clears throat> that's possible. Here's my thing with all this shit. Yes, I am still grappling with my sorghum's condition. <laughs> it has not gone away. But it is increasingly evident that though there is a real physical response, there are symptoms. It's all this prefrontal cortex shit. It's all in your head. Well, no, it's like all these automatic processes like, oh, I used to just sit and not think about it. Now it hurts when I sit in my back and I think about it a lot. And the problem becomes not just there's a something in the back, but also the thinking about the something in the back. It's a vicious cycle is what it is. My God. Pharrell says the discovery is further evidence that controversial advice to deliberately drink fluids is wrong. Eight, what was it? Eight ounces a day? Eight times eight? Because I'm happy. You said Pharrell, right? It shows we have several very subtle mechanisms for regulating the amount we drink. If left to our own devices, we will drink the requisite amount of water to maintain balance. Quit trying to figure it all out and relax. Just relax. If you're you're thirsty, drink. You're saying I shouldn't be filling my big jug? My big uh, mason jar. Well, I have found, and we've discussed this before when I was in... Um, what haven't we discussed A young before? buck in high school. As Ooh. I would wind down my day, I would just g- drink large amounts of water and flip this Evian bottle in a rhythmic, Mark was a party way. animal. <laughs> He'd stay up extra late and watch all of Late Night with David Letterman. While I hydrated. While he hydrated. I had the Meanwhile, of a young man. I was being chased by police officers through... <sighs> Shooting out street lamps. Public parkways in Littleton. With your big pants. Trying to not spill my 40 ounce while I ran in, in giant school. pants. Yeah, in giant pants. Um, uh, I have minute. found this. As, as these things go wrong and they're not, uh, it's not like a broken arm. It's not textbook. You don't know what it mm. is, clearly. You enter into the murky domain of mind versus body. It's your own little year of magical thinking, isn't it? Oh, About you... the death of your health. God damn it. Yes. That's what I'm saying, and I'm not happy about it. I'll tell you what. I got a little... I like want a, it out of the prefrontal cortex. Not in the amygdala either. You know what that is. That's like fight or flight. That's like panic. Right. You can't <clears throat> breathe. Mm-hmm. Have I had a panic attack on air? Probably. You've come close. All right. If yeah. I start talking about a malady that you've never heard of before, <laughs> you do start to get a little piggish. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. Wait, what are the symptoms? <gasps> I'm experiencing that Swollen right now. Swollen lymph node in the oh. neck? Hold on. What is that? All right. I have a, a pain in my... This is weird. So I'm ringing in my left ear. Yep. I got a pain in my left ball. But I can't tell if it's like actually okay. in the ball or if it's like just... A, I think what it is is like a, a groin. I think I strained a muscle deep in my groin. But the pain Have you is, examined yourself? I did that this morning. But what we were just talking about, it's like that... Um, the, the magical thinking, right? It's like if I don't roll my nut and find a node... 
then I don't have <laughs> prost- or testicular cancer. Well, wait, so that's what you do? Kind of thing. You've never self-examined? No, I'm saying that's, that's what you wanted to do was like, oh, it won't be there if I don't check. On, on a certain part of me, because I'm like a, pretty sure it's, it's like a common a, male I, response. I think it's a, I think it's a the, groin injury. I don't think you it's don't a, have to demonstrate. I don't think it's an actual ball problem. Right. But then I, right before you came over, actually, I was pacing, picking oh, up. Boy. I kind of clean up the house before you get oh, here. Oh boy! And I was like, you know what? Be a man. Go into the bathroom oh, and massage your nuts and make sure you don't have any lumps. And I don't. Good and neither you. of them was even sore, really. Good for you, man. So I'm pretty sure, but it's like connected to my back pain. So it's all like this weird oh, vortex shit. of like, oh, is God, it my no. back? Like, I hope you don't get done. Am I correct? Because, you know, I do self-correcting things subconsciously with my posture to ease the pain on my back. Have I yeah. entered a new era of groin pain now? Well, you're, uh, you are sensitive to that, the way that you are, as you adjust your what? Uh, the, your uh, body physio mechanics to accommodate the back pain, other shit goes wrong. I've heard you yep. say that multiple times. You yeah. do not want to get, there's some condition, spinous caudius equitus or something. Twisted bolus. Well, you get that, you get all screwed up in that area, you just lose control of your bowels. I don't think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I hope not. Hey, it could be on the horizon. So, your body tells you when you're thirsty. There are these very subtle mechanisms in which it does that. Well, you're eating a cracker right now, so you must be thirsty. I have found that I'm better when I hydra- overhydrate, though. I find that I pee more. When I overhydrate. Well, you pee more and it's lighter, and then you know. But late night television, I found, is so much funnier when you've had too much water to drink as opposed to too much alcohol. Oh, there's three stories. Here's the second Wait, but one. did you know that, do you remember, like, it was back when ecstasy was, like, kind of a bigger deal? Uh, no, I don't. And there were deaths. Have I ever done ecstasy? I have not. Okay. I wasn't insinuating you had, but there were teenagers who were dying from overhydrating because they were... So, like, just Whoa. blissed out on ecstasy. They were just dancing and just drinking gallons of water. And you can kill yourself. You can drink, you can drown yourself, essentially, if you drink too much water in a small space of time. And so, a few deaths nationally occurred, like, probably less than five or something. But it was enough to kind of cause a panic. Um, is internet backing up my story? Great. Okay. It is backing up your story. All right. Yep. What's, what's that called when you overhydrate? It's called something. Um, I don't know. Anhydrogenesis? I think it's called drowning. <clears throat> Story two, mapping the subway's microbiome. Gregory Flechet. Uh, news.cnrs.france. I don't know what this is. What is the source? I, I should have looked that up. I'll do that right CNRS now. is... Uh, Central Nervous France. Cute nodes... Right of your sack? It didn't have to. Wearing latex gloves, a man applies a large cotton swab to the steps of a central Paris metro station before sealing it in a plastic tube. Yeah, sit back, relax. Listen. I'm going to be a cracker. Although similar to a scene from the television show CSI, oh, no one is tracking down a dangerous criminal. The aim of the operation, repeated several times throughout the day of June 21st, 2016, at the entrances of several Paris metro stations was strictly scientific to identify the microorganisms that have taken up residence in this suburban environment. This unprecedented study is part of an international consortium framework dubbed MetaSub. Are you listening? Yeah. I'm looking at this. Jesus. I feel like we've read that we've done this article before. No, we haven't. The project, we have not. Oh, there was something about 
the, all, oh no, it was all the all the oh. diseases and things that you can find in a New York City subway station. It was similar. It was similar. Did we? We didn't do that. We did. All right, hold on. The project, which will be used to create microbial maps of the underground transit networks of the world's largest cities, already includes 53 international megalopolises, including New York, London, Sao Paulo, Tokyo, Berlin, and Shanghai. Now, what are you saying? We, we examined an article once. It was about, I think it was about all the different diseases that they were able to find in a New York subway. I don't remember this. Was I on this show? Yes, you were. I think you, it was your article. Oh, crap. Uh-oh. Sorghum's drying out drying Brain's out your brain. Your wasting, cortex is wasting. Yeah. You need some water. Desiccated brain cells. So they did it in New York, and they found 562 bacterial species never before identified. Excuse me. They found 562 total. Half of them, unknown, never before identified. Not belonging to any species of microorganism classified to date. Whoa. So this is just a big, big old data science project Octopods, going on. Octopods. Tardigrades. Alien life forms, baby. Impregnated in your left ear. Now, why are they doing this? I'm reading this article. I'm like, because okay, they want to take over the planet, dude. Who? The scientists? The octopods, the tardigrades, and the microbes that are from other worlds, get, dude. Get Aren't you probed. reading this article? I am reading, You're the, reading article. the article. I'm reading between the lines. Keep reading between the lines because I wanted to. Why are they doing this study? Well, to scare you. One, to gross you out, to understand the effects of seasons and of certain climatic events like flooding on microbial communities. Microbes like water. Meh. I'm like, eh, okay, great. Two, Mm -hmm. study links between the composition of underground bacterial populations and the presence of atmospheric pollutants and allergenic substances. You're okay with that? I'm okay with that one. Study down below, see how it relates to up above and down the line. To identify new biosynthetic pathways in bacteria that could provide an opportunity to discover new medicines or new antibiotic-resistant genes. You're saying please? How do you know that? Because I'm looking at the doc. Cheating. Sorry. Yep. Yep. I, you think that's a bunch of hogwash, huh? I think that, you think that's horse feathers? I kind of like the idea of the project. <clears throat> you know? Figure out what kind of crazy stew is going on in each city. Yeah, we've read when the pathogen hits. We've read about far worse uses of research grants. Yeah, think I'll bet you there's an anti-terrorism angle here too. Oh, they dropped the vial of sarin in the subway here. Well, we know what the microbes like there. This is the way to fight it. To fight sarin gas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> please. Oh, that's police. That is police. I think it's good though. I like that each city due to Climate and altitude and... They, there was one, like one of the subway stops in uh, New York had been flooded and they found that it had all these marine bacteria in it. Yeah, Decades later. I like it. Those things flourish, my friend. Just don't try to outrun them. Don't try to outsmart them. You can't. You fuck, no They're way. They're fucking everywhere and they don't, they don't give a shit about antibiotics. Antibiotics nope. is like a hiccup to them. It means nothing. It's like a, yeah. It's like that thing where you're at the Grand Canyon, man, and you're staring at the rocks and you're realizing like what a blip humanity is that's how antibiotics feel about it or i mean that's how, <laughs> how, how my, bacteria how my biotics feel about your antibiotics yeah they're like fuck this shit bring us home we got one more story <clears throat> health secrets of the amish <laughs> by moises oh, velasquez manoff this guy's so good he is he does not miss i won't uh take us all the way through the good setup God, here because, you have so many notes here well no but we've discussed this before right that farm kids don't have asthma, that living in a kind of a germ-rich environment 
builds up your immune system. You become hardier, right? But keep, keep it dirty. That's right. But okay, in the late 19th century, wait hay till, fever. Wait till next episode when we really can, keep it dirty. With can we just Gwyneth focus Paltrow. on this episode? Gwyneth Paltrow. That's right. Well, tease. now we have to do that. Late 19th century, hay fever so closely hewed to class lines, it was seen as a mark of civilization and refinement. To have it? To have it. Okay. <laughs> Only the rich got hay fever. Hmm. Uh, and it was even noted that farmers were the ones least likely to sneeze and wheeze. So there you go. Did you know also that tan, being tan, like back in the day, it meant you were a peasant. It's uh, funny that... Yes, I did know that. Yeah, like rich white folk now like to be tan. But before it was like you wanted to, if you were a true aristocrat, you were pale. You never went outside. At times they are a changing. That's right, Bobby D. Uh, so rediscovered in the 1990s, the same phenomenon in Switzerland, where children who grew up on small farms were far less likely to have hay fever and asthma compared with non-farming children living in the same rural areas. So you got a rural area, but the kids that are on the farms, less asthma and hay fever than kids who are in that rural area, but not living on farms. Everybody farm. Children from an Amish community in Indiana had even lower prevalence of allergies than European farmers, making them among the least allergic subgroup ever measured in the developed world. The Midwestern American farm boy? Amish. Amish. Amish farm boy. Or girl. Handmade boots. Handmade bonnet. So a study released on Wednesday in the New England Journal of Medicine advances the research. The authors did something new and important. They found a suitable comparison group for the Amish in another farming community, the Hutterites. The two groups share genetic ancestry. Both descend from German-speaking stock, but unlike the Amish, the Hutterites, who live in the upper Midwest, are as allergic as your average American. Uh Uh-oh. So why do you think that is, Mark? That's a good question. Without looking at the doc, why would you guess that is? One could be genetic. Nope. Okay. The other could be that they play a lot of Miss Pac-Man. Nope. Okay, it could be that they like cheese curds. Amish have small farms with cow sheds located right next to their homes. Their communal living Hutterites house their livestock miles away. Gotta get up. The Amish probably bring more microbes into their homes, and some may waft directly, waft indirectly, resulting in a microbial load nearly six times higher than that found in the Hutterite house. God, you want a big microbial load? You want a huge. Microbial load of Simeon, Trevor Simeon. So about 5% of the Amish children in the study of asthma, All right. 21% of the Hutterites right. do. So there you go. I got it. Do you? You, you crushed it. You, you're but no, done. There's, there's more. There's more. No, I don't want that. You don't want to hear about the white blood cells? Nope. Okay. You made your point. The Amish white blood cells have a different profile of gene expression than Hutterite? Nope. They found two light communities. This ability to not overreact to pollens. That's why I put this in there. And dander is scientists think important to avoiding asthma and allergy. Overreaction. Yes. Overreactive immune systems, Prefrontal cortex shit. That's right. You get all fired up in that brain and your sorghums becomes a real thing. As opposed to just like a nuisance where you're like, oh, I got a busy day though. I'm not even going to really pay attention. My back, oh, it really hurts. But you know, I'm too busy. Doesn't matter. Wait a minute. I'm not busy today. Oh, I can't. Uh... It's all in your head. Yeah, I know. But it's important to... So you got to work wait, on but, mind, body. But, so gonna, what's I'm, the solution, though? Meditate the fuck out of it. Well, no. We can't, like, have farms, not all of us living in the... Oh. Even in Park Hill, where we have decent-sized plots of land, it's not like we can have... I guess we could have goats. I've always wanted to have a goat. I bet if you had a goat and you were out you there did. milking that goat... Those devil eyes. Yeah, and stroking your goat, you'd bring microbes in. Terrible. 
What? In Belgium? You're sexualizing the goat. I'm not. It's like stroking a goat. Yeah. It's like How else am I supposed to read that? I don't know. Not everyone's a pervert like you, Oh, Mark. yeah. Not everyone. My friend, when he was in Belgium, said when you would ride the trains, even through like the outskirts of like the suburbs of cities in Belgium, um, they, like almost every house had a little goat house in the back, like an elevated kind of doghouse style thing Boom. with a ladder Yeah, because the goats like to stand yeah, on I the know. rooftop. So they would just standing on the roof of their little goat houses looking at you. You need to maybe, you know what? Goats. Dude, you nailed it. No, we'll, we'll get one of those images for this week's Instagram work. Oh, Have you seen these goat yeah, ladders they build? You. These crazy ones that they yeah, built? Yeah, I shared those. I shared that article with you. Oh, okay. That was you? Yeah, like restaurants that have like these goat goats. Towers and stuff. There it is. Natch 86. Get yourself a goat. Yeah. The other option I thought of is like, you know, I live. You uh, can find room. I live about a block and a half from a giant, from a middle school with a huge field, huge soccer. They would love to have your goat. Well, no, but they already have like a a garden over there. They they allotted some space on the side of the field for a garden. Mm. But what if in the near future there were like a a little farm? (laughs) When I I was growing up uh, in Littleton. The Littleton Historical Museum, it's still there. They, it's kind of just this weird little, like ensconced museum in Littleton, and they have a working farm and a blacksmith and all this shit. Oh, I went God. to a summer camp there. I remember Williamsburg Living History. This was creeps that shit being me cool. Out creeps me out. It creeped me out too because like we went and the very first day of camp they told us that we were going to take a. You got engaged with the blacksmith. You're like, I know you're a fucking dude. That's like. Moonlighting from Seven Eleven, you're gonna go home and put on a, a Quantum Leap. Yeah, it would have been Quantum Leap. Back okay. Then. Oh, but right now you're a blacksmith. Oh, tell me how you do it. You can't just allow, allow yourself to be immersed. See, that was your I problem. My not. problem was Too they told up. us that we were gonna take a wagon trip, like to Oregon or something. God, I overreact. And I fucking freaked out. I like started crying. I thought <sighs> they were serious. I thought I wasn't gonna get to go home that night. That I was gonna have to like stay there and pack and prepare for this wagon trip. Anyway. Situations like that. Bring the kids in. Let them milk the cows. Let them stroke the goats. Let them build up their their immune systems. Just, just don't overreact. Yeah. Just. And there's a whole other part of that article that I didn't even get to touch on. That's okay. Which is like the two arms of the immune system. We should talk about that sometime. Not now. Not now. I'm relaxing. But we have... Wait a minute. We're done, right? No, We're isn't there a, There's a Greg's... Well, but that's going to go right into the... So let me set those up. All right. So I'm going to thank everyone for listening. Me too. That, that's, that's Josh. That was me saying I'm thing. Mark. This was episode 86. That was Mark who likes to... Next week is 87. You should subscribe on iTunes or however you see fit. You got a newsletter you can sign up for. Twitter, Instagram, Real Natch. Text me, 303-548-6877. He's the sound hawk, and I'm the sound. Thanks to New Hope, Escobona, the butlers, everybody that participated in these silly interviews. We got one left. You're going to hear our last Esca Minute. With 4G. With 4G himself. This is this is 4G at his very best. In a one-time only, no-holds-barred, intimate, irreverent performance. You're going to love it. After that, we have an Eska bootleg, a little musical moment to take us out. That's how they close the show. I recorded it from about 50 feet away. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, though. Finney and Makepeace, singing a song 2060 about this apocalyptic vision he had. Natch 86. Select files, okay. Here with 4G. Everybody's favorite mentor. Fuck you. (laughs) Day one at Escobona. (laughs) What was the question I was going to ask you? Give it to me, baby. Oh, oh. So, yeah. The news here. 
food is a dirty word. What have you done that's dirty this week? Actually, I'm glad you asked. Yesterday, before I got on the plane, I shit in a box. Now, that may sound... Okay, more, yeah, explain. That that may sound a little odd, but you know what? Technology is such today, and when you get to be my age, you don't necessarily have to do a colonoscopy all the time. And now you can shit in a box and FedEx it in, and they can tell if you're dying or not. Okay, we'll come back for day two. See how you're doing then. (laughs) What? So make it so 